Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number three of Genesis chapter four, and we're going to be reading the first five verses. In Genesis four, verse one, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from Jehovah. And she again bare his brother Abel and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto Jehovah. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And Jehovah had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And I'll stop reading there. Now, uh, in our last study, we saw how the historical record of, of this event matches or relates to what God uh, did or what God told us in the parable of the wheat and the tares. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, an enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat. And the enemy was identified as Satan. Actually, why don't we quickly turn there to Matthew 13, where Jesus is explaining the parable And he says, or it says in verse 36, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. Now let me read verse 38 again. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now compare that with what God says of Cain in 1 John 3 and in verse 12, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. So God says Cain was of the wicked one, just like the tares are representative of the children of the wicked one. And the wheat and the tares would be God's elect and the unsaved growing together within the corporate church throughout the church age, over the many centuries of the church age. And God 
permitted them both to grow together until the time of harvest. And harvest was said to be the end of the world. Now, the word world, or, or the Greek word, translated as world in that verse in Matthew 13, is a word that means age. It's the end of the age. That word, uh, aenos, the Strong's 165, is translated world several times. But it never means the physical world. There, there is a, another good Greek word, cosmos, Strong's 2889, where, uh, it, it's used in that same parable when Jesus says the field is the world, that, uh, English word world is a translation of cosmos, 2889. But then when he says um, and I'll have to turn back there to make sure I, I say it correctly. Matthew thirteen thirty nine. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. That usage of the word world is a translation of a different Greek word, anos, that means age. It's the end of the age. And And we wonder, why didn't God just use the same word, Cosmos that he used in verse 38. The field is the world. Cosmos. And when, when we read of God creating the world or in John 1, Jesus made the world. It's always cosmos. It's always the cosmos. That's the actual physical world. But this word aeonon translated as world has been translated as ever and age or ages and course, it does not mean the physical world in any way. It's not the end of the physical world. In other words, at the time of the harvest, when God brings about the separation of the wheat and the tares, but it is the end of an age, a particular age. And it's not our purpose at, at this point to get into a discussion of the age and and so forth, maybe another time we will, but but here this separation of the wheat and the tares, it's important for us to understand, is not taking place at the end of the physical world cosmos, but it is taking place in harvest time at the end of the age, and that's important because as we understand it. God put in motion the process of separating the wheat and the tares during the Great Tribulation and then completed that process on May 21, 2011, Judgment Day, and then the harvest began. The tares were bundled for burning. The wheat was gathered into his garner, into his barn, and that was the end of the age, the end of the world, as it's said here, but it's actually referring to the end of the age. And so what God is telling us in the parable of the wheat and the tares matches very closely with Cain and Abel. Just as the wheat and the tares grew up together, 
so also did these two brothers. They have much in common. They're the first two boys born into the world. Their parents are Adam and Eve. There are no other people anywhere. And so we can, we can gather from that that they would have had a close relationship as they grew up. They, they would have, um, played with one another and, and, and had fun with one another because there was no one else to play with. They, they were forced to have a very close relationship and more than likely for all their lives, you could not tell them apart. That is now we know the story. We know Cain was the, of the wicked one. We know Cain killed his brother Abel. We know that Abel was righteous because the Bible tells us. And so we look at Cain and Abel and we, we identify Abel as evil and Cain as just, the righteous. And yet uh, we only know that because God introduced an offering. That is, from everything that we're told in the Bible, these two sons grew up together and got along well. An outward observer would not be able to distinguish that one was saved and one wasn't saved. You you wouldn't be able to tell. But then there came this time, and it says in verse 3 of Genesis 4, and in process of time, it came to pass. And then we read, Cain brought an offering, and Abel brought an offering. And in this time period, we read that God makes it known that he had respect unto Abel and his offering, but did not have respect unto Cain and to his offering. And based upon the reaction of Cain, the lethal response, he he kills his brother, he's so angry, we, we can understand that God had never um, done this kind of thing, that, that God had never previously required an offering, or maybe he did, maybe they did give previous offerings, but God had never made it known before which one he respected and which one he did not respect. But now, in the process of time, it came to pass, God reveals he wants an offering, and God reveals one offering is acceptable, the other offering is not acceptable. And notice I uh, keep referring to the statement in verse 3 of Genesis 4. And in process of time it came to pass. And the reason why is because it's not a correct translation. The King James translators did not translate the first part of Genesis 4-3 very well. They they did not translate it very well at all. Now, uh, you know, we're living at the end of the world and God has opened the scriptures and we have all kinds of Bible helps so we can check out each word. Well, the, the King James translators didn't have uh, all the advantages we have today. 
they came to the text and they wanted to translate it as best they could. And the overwhelming majority of times in the Bible, in the King James Bible, they did translate it excellently in a, in a very good way, but not in this verse. And, and you know, we also have to take into consideration God's uh, providential will or God's overlooking the work of the translators in the sense that God um, could keep them back from a proper translation. And, and we have examples of this, like the word Sabbath in the New Testament in Matthew 28, verse 1, where it literally says, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first of the Sabbath, and yet the translators translated the word Sabbath as week. And, and a plural word in a singular way. And God used that to hide truth. And God has done that, uh, oftentimes. You find the actual translation and that helps the reader to understand what God had in mind. And so as an additional way, an additional means of hiding information in the Bible, and we know God has done that throughout the Bible. He verily is a God that hides himself. And and the Bible was written as a parable. And ultimately, the definition of a parable is that which hides truth. And, and so God, from time to time, would allow these very good, the best translators imaginable, uh, because they did such an outstanding job overall with the King James Bible. But God, on occasion, would allow them to get something wrong. And here, in Genesis 4-3, God allowed them to get it wrong. Now, probably, the reason they got it wrong is because this is the beginning of the world. God has just created the world. And this is the first family. Genesis is the book of beginnings. And and here we're reading of these two sons and um they're recently born and, and, and growing up and now an offering is required or or they're giving an offering. And so it it does make sense when you look at it in that way to translate these words in process of time, it came to pass over the course of years. Uh, when these boys grew up, they brought an offering rather than what the Hebrew words actually say. And literally in the Hebrew, it says in the end of days or at the end of days. Uh, in the end of days, it came to pass or at the end of days it came to pass that um, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground uh, in offering unto Jehovah, and Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock in offering unto Jehovah. You see, this is this is early on in the history of the world, and the word used that's translated as process is a word that means end. As a matter of fact, 
this Hebrew word, which is 7093 in the concordance, Strong's concordance, is never translated as process again anywhere else in the Bible. But it is often translated as end. In Exodus 12, it says in verse 41, And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass, that all the hosts of Jehovah went out from the land of Egypt. Now, that's an important verse because it tells us that the end of the 430 years means the end of 430 years, the self-same day. So when it says in Genesis 4-3, and in the end of days it came to pass, this means the end of days. Uh, or we could maybe understand at the end of the age or the ages it came to pass. But let's keep looking at this word that's translated as process. In Psalm 39, it says in verse 4, Jehovah, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. It's the word that we find in the book of Daniel several times. I'll just read a couple of instances in Daniel 8, verse 17. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. And verse 19, And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation. For at the time appointed, the end shall be. The the word end is this word. It It's the word that's found in Habakkuk. In Habakkuk chapter 2, in verse 3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak, and not lie, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. And, and again, the personal pronoun there, should be masculine. Uh, at the end, he shall speak and not lie and so forth, though he tarry. Uh, but we we see this word in these verses that we've often identified with the end of the world. The end of the world. Now, the end of the world, again, begins with the end of the church age and the judgment that began on the house of God. That began the final phase of earth's history, that began the end of the world. That's when the day of God's wrath began because he he began to pour out the cup of his wrath on the people called by his name. And then uh, after the 23-year Great Tribulation, it transitioned to the inhabitants of the earth, the unsafe people of the world. Uh, so the the end encompasses that whole final stage of great tribulation and then judgment day. Well, now we can see we can see that in this passage, which is recounting true history, these are the actual historical events that took place with Adam and Eve, 
the birth of their two sons, that not in process of time, but in the end of days it came to pass. Now, now once we understand that, we realize the, the uh, implication of the historical parable that God is writing to us. It does relate and identify with the wheat and the tares. The two sons, one is righteous, one is unrighteous, like the wheat is of the good seed, the son of man, and the tares are of the wicked one. And God even tells us in 1 John 3.12 that Cain was of that wicked one to further make the identification, to link together Cain with the tares. Cain with the unsaved within the corporate body. Because Adam and Eve, Adam is a figure of him that was to come, the Lord Jesus. Eve is a figure of the mother of us all. But in this case, since she gave birth to Abel, a righteous one, and to Cain also, she is a type of both Jerusalem above and the earthly Jerusalem or the corporate church because that's where the only place that Cain could develop and, and grow and, and, and flourish or develop and grow as a tear. And then they both grow together in history. They became teenagers. They became young men. They, they were, uh, close brothers. They had to have been since there, there just wasn't any other options for friends. They had to have a very uh, intimate, close relationship. And it stayed that way until God introduces this offering. This offering in the end of days. And when God introduces this offering, then God also makes known. He makes known that, uh, Abel, you did well. You did well. I am pleased with your offering. And it is an acceptable offering. Cain, no, you did not well. I am not pleased with your offering. It is not an acceptable offering. And, and God reveals, God reveals now for the first time a difference between the two brothers and the difference is their offering. That there's something about Cain's offering that's not right and something about Abel's offering that is right. One is pleasing, one is displeasing. And as a result of God himself revealing this to Cain and Abel, God's the one, uh, as we see here, it says in again in, in Genesis 4, verse 4, And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof, and Jehovah had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And Jehovah said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? 
And why is thy countenance fallen? God is communicating with Cain. God has made known himself personally to these two brothers regarding their offering that one is acceptable and the other isn't. And to say it another way, it wasn't uh, Adam that came to them and said, well, Abel, my son, you have presented a very good offering and, and, uh, and you are blessed. And it wasn't uh, Adam who then turned to his other son and said, oh, your offering is not good, my son Cain. And it wasn't Eve either that told them that one was good and one wasn't good. No, it wasn't man. It wasn't coming forth from man, but it was God himself that revealed this in the end of days. God revealed in the end of days concerning these two offerings, one is proper and good and acceptable, and the other is improper and bad and not acceptable. Let, let's go to 1 John 3 again. 1 John 3, and we see in verse 9, Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Notice in verses 9 and 10 of 1 John 3, God is again talking about two types of children. The children that are born of God and they cannot sin and the children of the devil. There, There's these two children that are being discussed. One is of God one is of the devil. Then it says in verse 11, For this is the message that he heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who is of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. This gets to the heart of the issue. This is the reason why God did not accept Cain's offering, but did accept Abel's offering. Because one was of God, Abel, and one was of the wicked one. And their offering demonstrated which family they were of, or who was their spiritual father. Cain's offering was an offering of works. God let it be known somehow. And and we don't have all the information. God's just giving us the important details. But God let it be known. He requires offering. And Cain presented an offering. And then Cain trusted in the work that he did. Because it says his own works were evil. In 1 John 3.12, he was trusting in his own efforts. 
in producing the crop and harvesting, in presenting it to God according to what he thought would be pleasing to God. He trusted in his good work to obey this requirement of God. But Abel's work was righteous because Abel presented of the firstling of his flock and the fat thereof. But he did not trust in that. He trusted in who it pointed to in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.